0: We elves try to stick to the four main food groups. Candy, candy canes, candy corns, syrup. Bad guy in a little coat. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today, since we're in the middle of the Christmas season at least as I record this, I thought it would be a good time to talk about Christmas traditions. Long-time listeners know I'm always digging into things. I like to research things. I like to know why things are the way they are or why they were the way they were. There's, like, a lot of stuff that we used to do that we no longer do and a lot of stuff that we do now that we never used to do that have become our traditions. The thing that springs to mind is the stupid elf on the shelf. Okay, I shouldn't say stupid. I know people love the elf on the shelf. I also know people hate the Elf on the Shelf. And there's a lot of folks who think that stupid Elf on the Shelf... I'm sorry. There's a lot of people who think that Elf on the Shelf... I'll try to control my loathing. There's a lot of people who think that Elf on the Shelf has been around, like, forever. It's been around since 2005. It's not a long-standing tradition, but it's a tradition for some families. As you can probably tell from my voice, not a tradition in my family. But that's an example of a Christmas tradition that's passed down and honored year after year after year. And there's something about Christmas time that makes us really aware of the traditions of doing the same things that make us feel good or feel happy or feel Christmassy every year. So what I'm going to do today is tell you about some old traditions that we don't really do anymore and then share some of my family traditions that existed when I was a kid. Some have lasted and some have gone away. We don't do them anymore for a variety of reasons. Sometimes it's just because we get tired of doing them. Now, in preparing for today's episode, I did some digging. I found some really old traditions that used to be a tradition like several hundred years ago, if not a thousand years ago, like in 12th century France... They had the Feast of the Donkey at Christmas time. Now, I had never heard of the Feast of the Donkey before, but it sounded fun. It's where the villagers would lead a donkey in a procession through the center of town to the local church. They would walk the donkey into the church during the service. And the donkey would remain next to the altar for the whole service. And then what would happen is that everybody in the church would mimic the donkey by doing their own donkey bray. Like, hee-haw, hee-haw. And it would be kind of a call and response thing with the priest. I tried to find out why the Feast of the Donkey became a thing. I couldn't find out why it was a thing. But I did find out that what would happen after the church service was that there would be a raucous party. Lots of food. Lots of drink. And what I found out is that these parties would get out of hand so they eventually banned the Feast of the Donkey. Kind of a shame, don't you think? I'm trying to imagine some of the churches around me. Maybe they could march a donkey into the middle of the service. Spark things up a little. If nothing else, it would be interesting. Another one that dates back hundreds of years, which maybe we should bring back, involved the mayor of the town appointing a lord of misrule. The mayor would appoint the jester, the town idiot, some clown in town. They'd appoint a mayor for the Christmas season. And that lord of misrule would suggest all sorts of funny things people would have to do during the Christmas season. The point was to provide entertainment for all the people in the town during the Christmas season. But as you might expect, just like the Feast of the Donkey, the celebrations that this spawned kind of got out of hand. And so this tradition, this appointment of the Lord of Misrule, kind of went into disfavor back in the 1500s. So we basically haven't had a Lord of Misrule for about 500 years. There are other things from back in the day that we don't do anymore, but that we see references to in Christmas stories and Christmas songs. Like in the night before Christmas, we hear about the kids. They're all nestled snug in their beds while visions of sugar plums dance in their heads. I didn't really think a lot about it as a kid, but I have no idea what a sugar plum is. So, of course, I had to dig into it. And it's something that people made back in the early 1800s. They were caraway seeds or other dried fruits or nuts coated in sugar. Those were called sugar plums. And it turns out that the word plum wasn't referring to the fruit, the plum, but actually meant desirable. Like if you've gotten a plum assignment or a plum job, it's a desirable or a good job. So sugar plums were sugary good things, like sugar-coated seeds or sugar-coated nuts or sugar-coated dried fruits. So that's what sugar plums were. And we used to make homemade sugar plums. Well, we, they, I've never made a homemade sugar plum in my life, but now I've got something to shoot for. Another good food thing from the holidays, fruitcakes. Basically a cake with dried fruit baked into it. And there's a richness and a heaviness to a fruit cake because of the way it's cooked. It's intended to last for a while, so there's alcohol used and sugar used and all different ways to keep it preserved for many, many months. And back when fruitcakes became something of a popular thing to give at special occasions like weddings and holidays, back in the 18th and the 19th centuries, they were really special because of the cost of the materials. It was hard to get any kind of fruit, even dried fruit. So you would save up your dried fruit and make a special cake or several small special cakes and give them out as gifts. Now, there's a difference between the fruitcakes that we get in those tins that you buy at the supermarket or you find online. Those are pale imitations of a homemade fruitcake, kind of like the cakes you get at a bakery are pale imitations of the things you can make on your own. I mean, it resembles it, but there's nothing like a homemade cake. And from what I hear, there's nothing like a homemade fruitcake. I've never actually tried to make one, but I've actually found a couple of old recipes, so I'm going to try it because it sounds good. Now, as I mentioned, the tradition developed to give these fruitcakes out at special occasions, weddings, holidays, because they took time, effort, and expense and showed that you were willing to invest that time, effort, and expense for a beautiful gift. Somehow over the years, the fruitcake has kind of been associated with Christmas, less so with Thanksgiving or other holidays, and honestly, I was unable to find out exactly why it became associated with Christmas, The only theory that I can come up with is because fruits are not always in season in the Northern Hemisphere during the Christmas season, that preserving them in a cake was a way to give fruit to people that might not otherwise be fresh as a gift at the holidays. Now, another one of those traditions that we hear about in Christmas songs is the 12 days of Christmas. Years and years and years ago, like centuries ago, the 12 days of Christmas actually started on December 25th the lead up to christmas was called advent and if that word sounds familiar you've probably heard of advent calendars they're much more secular now than they ever used to be advent calendars have been around for a while and they counted down the days leading up to christmas the window leading up to christmas was where the advent calendar was supposed to cover and it was years ago a very solemn time nowadays the days leading up to christmas it's all shopping it's all christmas parties getting ready for the holiday We have office parties, we have social parties, we're out spending our money buying Christmas gifts. It's crazy time leading up to Christmas now. But years ago, the time leading up to Christmas was somber. There was fasting going on. The time leading up to Christmas was almost a holy time. And you would track the days with an Advent calendar. The early Advent calendars would have a little door or a little window that the kids or the people in the house would open. And you'd get a little Bible passage or a poem. But it was something more somber and reserved than we treat the days leading up to Christmas. But this is when Christmas was viewed more as a religious ceremony than just the secular holiday we've kind of turned it into. But Advent would lead up to Christmas. And then Christmas Day would be the first day of Christmas. And then each day after that would be a different celebration. That's why there's 12 days of Christmas and 12 different gifts. And in those days, the Christmas season extended from Christmas Day, the 25th, to the eve of the Epiphany which was January 6th. And back in those days, the biggest celebrations were held on January 6th. That became known as Twelfth Night. And for Shakespeare fans, you know there's a play called Twelfth Night. And the celebrations on Twelfth Night were the inspirations for Shakespeare's play. So when we hear the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas, it has its origins in the original celebrations of Christmas. The traditional song has continued, obviously, but the way we celebrate Christmas, just as obviously, has changed. A lot of other things have changed over the literal centuries that Christmas has been celebrated. I mean, if you know the Christmas song, It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year, you hear the words, there'll be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories. And if you're like me, you wonder, well, what scary ghost stories are we talking about on Christmas? This isn't Halloween. Well, it actually used to be a thing. One of the traditions used to be telling scary ghost stories on Christmas. I mean, if you know A Christmas Carol by Dickens, it involves ghosts. Marley's Ghost and the Three Ghosts Who Visit Scrooge? That's because ghost stories were a big part of Christmas back when Dickens was writing. Another thing that was associated with Christmas that we traditionally associate with Halloween? Wearing costumes to celebrate Christmas. People would go to Christmas celebrations dressed up in costume. Now, I don't know if our current tradition of ugly Christmas sweaters counts as dressing up in costume, but it certainly can be viewed as a revival of that. I mean, that's another tradition that's of relatively recent vintage. The ugly Christmas sweater party we've all heard about or attended. I personally have collected a few ugly Christmas sweaters over the years. But it has its roots in the fact that we used to wear costumes to celebrate the Christmas holiday. Another Christmas tradition that we still observe, although less so in recent years, is Christmas caroling. Now, when I was a kid, we used to go out and Christmas carol. I don't know why we did it. We loved to do it. And the neighborhood kids would get together. And some of the parents would get together. And we'd walk around the neighborhood and we'd sing Christmas carols. Now, early Christmas caroling, people would do the same thing. They'd go around and sing Christmas carols. But the early origins of Christmas caroling were more or less along the lines of trick-or-treating that we have today. It actually involved poor people going to the rich people's homes and singing Christmas carols. And basically asking them for gifts. Food, drink, Whatever little cookies or little ales they might have lying around the rich man's house, they expected to get a little treat from their Christmas caroling. What would happen is, if they didn't get a little treat, bad things might happen to that rich person's house. So treats were given out to Christmas carolers, both to make sure they didn't do anything to the house, but also to make sure they moved on to the next house. And you know what? When we went out and Christmas caroled when I was a kid, I remember the people in the houses would come out with cookies or popcorn balls or other little goodies that they'd give us as kind of a thank you for Christmas caroling. So even the tradition of getting little gifts from the landowner continued to the days when I was Christmas caroling. Now, I haven't been Christmas caroling in ages. And quite honestly, I don't remember the last time I saw anybody out Christmas caroling. But I do remember having fun doing it. It was kind of a neat way to get the family together, to get friends together, to get everybody together and do something kind of different around the holiday season. Now, I mentioned that one of the things that the Christmas carolers would get would be some kind of beverage, some kind of drink to go with their little cookie snack. Now, one of those early Christmas beverages, one of those traditional Christmas beverages was something called wassail or wassail. I've heard it pronounced both ways, but I think the correct pronunciation is wassail. I think people like to go wassail because it's spelled W-A-S-S-A-I-L. So it looks like sail at the end. But I've usually heard it wassail. But just like niche and niche. Although I might have my favorite pronunciation. I know people like to do it their way. So I'm going to call it wassail. Wassail is a hot drink basically made up of wine or beer or cider. With spices and sugars mixed in. And it's a nice warm drink that you serve around Christmas time. People would go a wassailing If you know the old Christmas carol. But wassail is a drink that you don't really find too much anymore. You can find recipes for it if you're looking for a nice, warmed, alcoholic drink for the holidays. doesn't have to be alcoholic. You can just use cider. Some warmed cider with spices. Maybe some apples dipped in it. Give it a little extra flavor. But wassail is a traditional Christmas beverage, which is very similar to something that is referenced in a Christmas carol. But we don't see this beverage referenced in the movies. But if you read the book, Scrooge and Bob Cratchit share a Christmas bowl of smoking bishops. I had no idea what a smoking bishop was. I had to look it up. From what I could find, it's a mulled wine mixture, served warm, usually incorporating oranges or grapefruits along with some spices, specifically cloves. But there's a tradition we don't do anymore, smoking bishops and wassail. A tradition we do do is eggnog. But it's not the same as it used to be. Decades ago, centuries ago, eggnog was a big thing and it was very, very alcoholic. Nowadays, you can go into the supermarket and buy a carton of eggnog, the non-alcoholic kind, of course, which is no fun. But if you want to serve traditional eggnog, you can at Christmas time just by going to your local supermarket. But what I found for you, which I'm going to share at the end of the episode, I found George Washington's recipe for eggnog. If you like your alcohol, you'll like George Washington. Yeah, that George Washington, first president of the United States, apparently loved his eggnog. The Old Farmer's Almanac found one of the original recipes that George Washington used back in the late 1700s, and I've got it for you. We'll share that in a little bit. But these are all the old traditions. These are traditional things that used to happen that we don't really do anymore, that aren't around for us anymore. I mean, we have pieces of them. We have the advent calendar, but nobody knows what it means anymore. We talk about the 12 days of Christmas, but we don't know what they mean anymore. We sing about going a wassailing, but we don't know really what that's all about. So we honor these traditions, although we don't necessarily know why. And my family was the same. We honored traditions that I had no idea why we were doing it. We were just doing it because it was tradition. That's what we did. We always hung garland on the tree. In case you don't hang it on your tree, garland is a long line of things strung together, either brightly colored or in some cases food, which I'll tell you about in a second. And it's kind of a chain or a line that you just string around the tree to brighten up the look of your Christmas tree. And we did different kinds of garland. I remember in grade school, we made paper garland. And what that involved was cutting colorful strips of construction paper, usually red and green, but you could throw white, you could throw blue, you could make it any color you wanted, but red and green, traditional Christmas colors. And you would take that strip and make a circle out of it and glue it or tape it or staple it, depending on how creative your art teacher was. And then you'd make a chain out of these links of construction paper. And you could make it as long as you had time to make links. And then you got to take your paper garland home and hang it on your tree. And I remember doing that in grade school. I remember some people were a little more industrious than others. They would make very, 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 very long garlands. I was lucky to get 12 or 15 links on my garland, but we had a little hunk of paper garland we'd hang on the tree. I also remember one year we tried popcorn garland. And what that involved was taking some fishing line and stringing it through a heavy needle, and then you'd pop up popcorn, and then you would feed the fishing line through each kernel of popcorn. And you could make it, again, as long as you wanted. I remember doing that as a kid a couple of different times. It didn't become a big tradition, but we did it a couple of different times. I don't remember why we stopped, but knowing my dad the way I do, it was probably because the tree smelled like popcorn and it drove him crazy. But it was a cool thing to do as a family. We'd pop the popcorn, take the fishing line, and just string the popcorn through it. And you can get a pretty long garland. I've actually also seen people do popcorn and cranberry garland. You can get cranberries, and I've seen people do a piece of popcorn, run the fishing line through it, then take a cranberry, you can buy them in the supermarket, run the fishing line through that, then another piece of popcorn, another cranberry, rinse and repeat. It's a very colorful garland, something different to try. If you're into a homemade project, you want to create a tradition, make your popcorn garland or popcorn and cranberry garland. Another tradition we had involved a food. My grandmother, my dad's mom, made a traditional Christmas pudding. Some call it a plum pudding. My dad always called it Christmas pudding. A Christmas pudding is kind of like a fruitcake in that there's a lot of dried fruit involved. It's not a pudding like Jello pudding. It's a pudding like a bread pudding, very thick and heavy. I've looked up the recipes for Christmas pudding. It is a very involved process. It involves dried fruit and flour and soaking all the ingredients in rum and letting everything marinate for a while. It involves beef suet, which if you don't know, it's kind of a fat from beef. And you put that in your Christmas pudding. It's served with a traditional brandy sauce or a rum sauce. I forget. My grandmother made it. I don't remember exactly what was in it. But you had to have the specific sauce to go with the Christmas pudding. And then you didn't just serve it. My grandmother would make it. I didn't know what went into it. She made it at her house. And she would bring it at Christmas time. And my dad loved that Christmas pudding. But to serve it for dessert, you had to steam it. You had to warm it up. So grandma would bring it. It'd be all wrapped up in aluminum foil, sealed in a plastic bag. We'd throw it in the fridge as soon as she got there. And then when we sat down for Christmas dinner, we would start the water to boil so that we could warm up the Christmas pudding. And you had to warm that thing up for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, however long it was. I don't remember. I was a kid and I didn't eat it, so I didn't care. But my dad loved it. It was years before I ever tried it because it looked kind of disgusting to me. It was like a brown mushy thing with a white topping on top of it after they put the sauce on it. It was one of those things, yeah, dad, okay, you enjoy it. I'll just have the pumpkin pie, thanks. But my dad looked forward to that every year. And one year, I was in my early teens, he finally convinced me to try a piece. Let me tell you, a traditional Christmas pudding with that rum or brandy or whatever Christmas pudding sauce it is, my oh my, was that good. If you've ever had bread pudding, which is basically what it sounds like, it's bread, but mixed with sweet sauce and soaked and then baked, and you can serve it with a sauce too. But the Christmas pudding has dried fruit, some nuts, although the one my grandmother made didn't have nuts because my dad couldn't eat nuts. But there was dried fruit in it, different kinds of seasoning. I'm guessing she put brandy or rum in there. There's a flour base, there's a sugar base in there. Then you steam it, it gets nice and warm, and then you put that sauce on it. Oh, it was so good. I haven't had it in literally decades. And I looked around for some recipes. There's some recipes out there. It is a labor-intensive effort to make Christmas pudding. It takes a while. I might give it a try to see if I can duplicate the taste. But if you're at all interested, just Google Christmas pudding or plum pudding. That was a tradition in my family's house for as long as I could remember. Grandma and her Christmas pudding. But unless I can find one out and about somewhere, I doubt that I'll ever be able to replicate it because I'm not sure I want to invest the time in putting one together. I guess that's one of the reasons that the traditions die. Sometimes we just get tired of doing them. Like Christmas caroling. I mean, it's not hard to go around door-to-door and sing songs. I mean, it's technically not hard. But we have so many things that we'd rather be doing, and it's kind of lonesome going out to Christmas Carol by yourself. So I can see why that might die out. Same with the Christmas pudding. It's so labor-intensive, and we have so many other things that we have to do, that we want to do. We don't put time aside for something like making a Christmas pudding. Maybe we should. Maybe we should put time aside for some of these traditions that have died out. Maybe we should make some wassail. Maybe we should recreate fruitcakes and Christmas puddings. Maybe if we spent more time doing some of these traditional things, we'd appreciate the holiday just a little bit more. It's just a thought, but I think that's the important part about some of these traditions. It reminds us of the holidays that we've had in the past and helps us appreciate the holiday today the way we used to appreciate it as a kid. And that reason by itself is one of the best reasons to keep these traditions alive. So whatever traditions you have in your house, keep them going. They're definitely worth it. They help you keep the memories alive. And I think they help you enjoy the holidays even more. So enjoy your traditions, embrace them, and make sure to pass them on. Because the stuff my parents gave to me helped me appreciate the holidays throughout my life. And I try to pass them on to my kids so they can appreciate them too. I did not forget that I mentioned to you that I was going to give you George Washington's recipe for eggnog. It's pretty straightforward. It's also pretty alcoholic. By today's standards, it probably would cost an arm and a leg to make it, but I'm going to give it to you so you can give it a try. If you're interested, I've never tried it. I literally just found the recipe. And from the quantity of the ingredients, it makes a bunch of eggnog. Very boozy eggnog. But if you're in the mood, you can check this out. All right, you ready? Grab your pencil. You need a quart of cream, a quart of milk, a dozen tablespoons of sugar, a pint of brandy, a pint of rye whiskey, a pint of Jamaican rum, and a pint of sherry. You also need a dozen eggs. Those are all of your ingredients. Yeah, that's a lot of ingredients. Now, the first thing you do, you have to mix all of the liquors together. The brandy, the whiskey, the rum, the sherry. Mix it all together. Then, according to George Washington, you take the eggs and you separate the yolks and the whites. You put the yolks, that's the yellow part, in a bowl and beat them up and add all of that sugar, all 12 tablespoons, to the egg yolks and mix them up. Then you add the milk and the cream to that. Beat it slowly as you do it. In a separate bowl, you're going to beat the 12 egg whites until they're stiff. What that does is it poofs them up, gives them some body, so you want to get little peaks out of your egg whites. And we've talked about beating egg whites in previous episodes. You can do it. Absolutely, you can do it. I know you can. Once you have stiff beaten egg whites, you fold that into the egg yolk mixture. So it's kind of a frothy, puffy kind of mixture. Then you add your liquor to that. Pour all that liquor you mix together into that whole mess that you just created. Okay, maybe I shouldn't say mess. Into that delicious, frothy batch of whatever you want to call it. Then you set it in a cool place for several days. Now, don't forget, in George Washington's time, there was no refrigeration, so you had to find a cool place like a root cellar or something like that. These days, just throw it in the fridge. But I like the fact that he said, send it out for several days. Okay. And then the best part about the recipe, and this again from the Old Farmer's Almanac, they found this amongst George Washington's papers. The last thing he wrote in the recipe, taste frequently. So I guess you got to make sure it tastes nice and alcoholic before you serve it for Christmas. There you have it, George Washington's eggnog. As I said, I haven't tried it yet. I just found the recipe. But there's a lot going on in that eggnog. Now, given some of the family adventures that I've had over the years, this eggnog might be a welcome addition to some of those get-togethers. These days, life is calm, so I don't need it so much. But there was a time, there was a time this would have done me good. And if you need this kind of libation, I hope it does some good for you. Anyway. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Storytime. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being here. Thank you for spending your time with me. I hope your Christmas season is going well. I hope you're able to capture the holiday spirit this year. And I hope you're enjoying yourself. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves. And I'll see you when I see you.